0: Psalm 42, verses 1 through 11. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have become, or have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our lesson. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, for all provision that you make to us. Father, those things that are visibly joyful and visibly easy and visibly comfortable for us. Father, we thank you for those because it is easy to do so. But Lord, we thank you also for those things that are difficult. Lord, those things that you do allow and even bring into our lives. Father, that we might have difficulty. We might be brought to our knees even, Lord, as we seek you. And ask you, Lord, to strengthen and guide and lead us in those difficulties. Help us to be grateful for all things from your hand. Help us to think clearly, justly, and lovingly towards you. Bless this word to us today, Father. Bless us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, saints, I just read 11 verses to you out of this 40-second psalm. And nowhere in it did I ever read the word pie. So you might be wondering what this well, what this title is about. And I'm going to tell you, it's one of my earliest memories. And I was hesitant to bring this out because it is kind of me-focused. Uh, and while I do talk about myself and my family a bunch from this pulpit, because there is just so much material there, I don't want things just to be focused on my own experiences, but I imagine you've probably shared certain experiences with me, so I'll speak from my own personal trove of experience. One of my earliest memories is feeling like a pie. And I'll explain that to you. <laughs> most of my days as a young person, all the way back, 3 years old, 6 years old and those sorts of things. Most of my days were filled with most 3-year-old type stuff. Action figures and dirt and playing outside and and you know Waiting for mom to call me before I would come inside, that's not so much a thing these days, it seems, in the days of screens and all that sort of thing. But I was just as carefree as any young person uh, could have been. My family certainly had their share of difficulties and struggles. My parents did. We didn't know about it, just as we aren't supposed to know about those sorts of things when you are single digits, preteen and all of that sort of thing. Uh, What I know, however, is that there were days when I woke up and felt like a pie. Now, what does, what does that mean? I'll describe it to you first before I tell you where it came from. It was something that, as I've sat and pondered on it for years, I've thought about this concept. It's something akin to boredom, only not as simple as boredom. And it's something akin to hopelessness, only not so desperate as hopelessness. Not so hopeless as hopelessness. So what it kind of was, was a hopeless boredom. Now, what does that mean? It was just a funk that I was in, that I would find myself in when I would wake up or sometimes just popping on me throughout the day. This is what came to my mind. Now, if this looks familiar, let me just say it this way. If this doesn't look familiar to you, I'm sorry for you. Because, you know, because this is a Swanson's frozen chicken pot pie. And so when this feeling would come upon me, this is what, Practically the exact thing that would pop up in, a, in a my mind. Now listen, minds are crazy things. Minds are odd, weird things. And I've heard different stories about different ones of you who, who have had different you know understandings of different things in your youth or in your own mind. My mind told me that this was the, was the case. For some reason, I keep thinking about Joel. I think Joel used to call his shoes yappies. Was it yappies? He used to call them yappies. Where in the world did he get that from? I don't know, but in his mind, a shoe was a yappy. Uh, My kids have thought squirrely thoughts that they've shared with me that I understand where they get them, but but they don't make any sense and wouldn't make sense to other people. This is kind of practically the exact thing that when I would feel that feeling come over me, that kind of hopeless boredom or bored hopelessness, I guess you could say, a pie would kind of just this kind of vision of a pie. It sounds crazy. Uh, It sounds strange. Uh, Certainly it was strange and it was odd, but the reason why I believe that, that that was the kind of thing that I felt was because if you crack these things open, anyone who has had the Luxury of opening up a Swanson's chicken pot pie back in the day when you put them in the oven or something. You'd dig into those things and it was just this kind of homogenous, everything the same color, squishy peas. It looks all vibrant and bright there, but it's not. Everything's kind of the same color. No chicken was born made like a cube, but all the chicken was cubed. The gravy's the same color and everything tasted the same. And there was just this kind of bland, blase, blah, blah, meh kind of mush that was left there and i look at that pie and somehow in my small tiny little mind there is a correlation between that blah pie and that kind of hopeless boredom that i was experiencing in the moment it was a funk and i just described it in my mind and it stuck man it stuck i still <laughs> i still to this day ali will tell you she's like what's up what's up with you I- Kind of feel like a pie today. <laughs> it's stupid. It's foolish. But it's something that works here, and it's something that's very, very real. It might sound really dumb to you. It might sound foolish, and you. you might say, "Where's he going with this?" I ah, will get there. Uh, my feeling like a pie, even today, never lasts longer than a day or so. Typically, when I was younger, it would just be a couple of hours, perhaps, and it would be kind of fleeting. But it was kind of foolish in the time because I had nothing to be concerned about, nothing to be hopeless about, nothing to be wound up about, nothing to worry about, nothing to be hopeless or, or just desperately scared about. It just, my parents didn't allow me to, to have anything that I worried that much about. And you would be right if you thought that I was foolish and it was unnecessary for me to be so. And yet the fact remained was that it remained. It would pop up. I'd feel like a pie, and I would remain feeling that way for some unknown reason for whatever amount of time. I read Psalm 42, and I'm going to tell you I can relate to Psalm 42. I read the entirety here, but well, first off, I've kind of felt led to read the whole thing just so that you'd have an understanding, a groundwork in in well in what it's about. But I'll tell you, I see remnants of that, it's correlations of my feeling like a pie in. This psalm. Now, if you've read David's psalms, you see some similarities here. This isn't a psalm of David. It says up there in the title, "It's to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah." Uh, it's not David's psalm, but there are some similarities to a lot of David's psalms that I see here. Um, uh, he, David would all oftentimes write about the conflict that was within himself, right? About well, dare I say that he would be in a funk sometimes. You know, I'm not going to say that he felt like a pie, but I can kind of relate with that. He would be conflicted and he would be troubled in himself. Let's turn to a couple of these examples of David's well-being conflicted, being troubled, being something along the lines of what we're reading at points here in the 42nd Psalm. Psalm chapter 6 to start with. He'd be troubled in his soul like you would read here where he says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O oh Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O oh Lord, how long? Now when he says heal me, I don't believe he was talking about physical things. At least he didn't have to be talking about physical things. He says my bones are troubled. My very core is troubled. My soul, who I am, my existence. Not just his well, his being. Who he was was troubled. He, you ever been troubled just down to your core? Where you're just burdened? I've told Allie, I don't tell just everybody when I'm troubled to my core, but there have been times where I've told told my wife, man, I'm just it's weighties, man, something's burdening me. And sometimes you can't put your finger on it, right? Sometimes you can just feel something and you're troubled about something. And David was. And he asked for the Lord, heal me. There's an issue that's present here. I need deliverance from this. We can see this kind of theme in a lot of David's writings. Psalm 13 And verse 1. He says, similar to what he said there in Psalm 6, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He says in Psalm 13 1. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Keep flipping, keep flipping, friends. Let's turn to Psalm 38 and verse 6. He says, I am troubled in Psalm 38.6. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Again, there could be some physical things going on, but this is talking about the core of Him. His soul is turned. His soul is turmoiled. His soul is disquieted. Now what was also also consistent with David's writings was not just that he was troubled and willing to voice that he also recognized that there was a deliverance for this there was an answer for this we understand who David was Psalm 62 in verse 5 he says my soul talking to himself right he did so quite often I like pointing that out he speaks to himself reassures himself with what he knows my soul waits silently for God alone For my expectation is from him. He expected deliverance. He expected God's perfect hand. He expected that. And he would remind himself of what he know. I know. I know that there is struggle here. There is difficulty here. There is a disquiet that we're going to get into here in a moment. But I know what my expectation is from. And it's from the Lord and the Lord alone. He continues to talk to himself in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He reminds himself always, always, always. Bless the Lord. When, well, when Israel, when they were moving into the promised land and they said, Lord, who's to go first? He said, Judah first. Judah means praise. And I've... Well, I see that correlation that the first and foremost thing that we must do always, regardless of our situation, is to praise the Lord first. This bad situation comes, praise the Lord, help me. (laughs) Help me, Lord, I'm praising you, I I recognize your hand in it, praise, praise first. And then ask him for his guidance, but always recognize that he, well, that he needs to be praised first and foremost. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, no matter what the situation might be. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And no matter what the situation might be, forget not all his benefits. And so this, I could go on and do this for, for all morning long with David's psalms, with how he is, what he presents in his understanding of who he was and, and his frailty and the difficulties and the funks that he would get into perhaps, but always his recognition of the deliverance that was to come. If he would just give that over to the Lord. I heard someone say just recently that if, if you put everything into the Lord's hands, then you'll come to see the Lord's hand in everything. That's, that's solid. I mean, that's true. That's absolutely so. If you put everything into his hands, then you start to see his work in those things. It's a mutual and a reciprocal uh, relationship that we have with him, with our sufferings and with our issues. David had Psalms of victory. Sometimes specifically joyful and, and entirely joyful and honoring God and recognizing and sounding off in praise and worship. Other times he had psalms of tears and anxiety and, and just identifying the struggles that he had. And oftentimes he would put both of them together. I don't know why I went into David so much other than just to give you a, sin, a single man's example of what we see here in Psalm 42. The sons of Korah there wrote both. Both, And it's kind of a ping pong table, I guess you could say, if you look at it that way, of going back and forth and back and forth to the struggle, to the answer, to the struggle, to the answer, to the struggle, to the answer. Great sorrow and great discouragement is presented here. And then great reminders of truth and encouragement in the Lord offered in a response to it. And it goes back and forth and back again. Look at what we see here. Now, first and foremost, we want to recognize what what they say there in the first verse. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. It's recognized. It's understood. We desire the Lord. It's who we are. We're children of God. That new creation within us recognizes our help, wants His help, wants fellowship with Him. But sometimes, sometimes issues arise. In the third verse, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. While they continually, they being most likely those that are around him, whatever that might be. It can be a number of different things that cause us to question sometimes right here. But something and someone is telling him, where is your God? And tears come. Issues come. I started crying just a moment ago. Because something stirred me. Something moved me. I'm not ashamed of that. I, I'm not bothered by being moved by the right things. But sometimes we can be moved to tears over our own struggle. And sometimes, it's well, it's not, they're not necessarily godly tears. Not necessarily, uh, well, ones that are honoring the Lord. We'll get there in a moment. While they say to me, where is your God? My tears have been my food day and night. And then reason comes. Reason comes in a reminder. Oh, well, first off in verse 4, or no, what is that? Is that verse 6? Yep, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. But not before he said, why are you cast down, oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Why are these tears coming? Why is that? When I recognize hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. But here comes verse 6 shortly thereafter. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. It's, it's cast down yet again, perhaps. You could stretch this out over the course of time. You could be up one moment, recognizing who the Lord is, and then something comes and knocks your feet out from underneath you. And, oh, I'm cast down. But why? Why am I cast down when I know who the Lord is? <laughs> I'm good to go. And you stand up, and then they get swept out from under you again. Oh, my soul is cast down. Verse, uh, well, what happens after that? Verse 8. More hope, Right? The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Oftentimes I hear people testify about that song. He or He giveth me songs in the night. Uh, man, at least twice in the last week I've woken up for whatever reason. Something has stirred me. Something you know, benign wakes me up, and then your mind starts racing, right? Sometimes... That just happens. Not necessarily racing, but just starts milling. You know, it's like, it's okay, fire up the, fire up the motor because the mind's just going to go and it just starts chugging along and you start thinking about things. And issues are bigger. Problems are worse. Things are more hopeless when you're half asleep, right? It just, that's just how it is. Uh, he giveth me songs in the night. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. In the night, His song shall be with me. He's good that way. But, verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? (laughs) We feel that way too. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And then it closes in verse 11. Why are you cast down though, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him the help of my countenance and my God. Saints, you see the seesaw that I'm pointing out there? Kind of the seesaw of emotion, the seesaw of issues compressed here in 11 verses, issues and the provision and and troubles and understanding back and forth and back and forth oftentimes. It's not uncommon that up and down and up and down, finishing certainly in verse 11 with an up. It's a rhetorical question. Why are you cast down, O my soul? What? What? Hope in God. I recognize this. I understand this. And the hope is to continue off in verse 11 and to stay there. Now, unfortunately, that's not always what we do. Oftentimes we do, well, find ourselves yet again cast down and disquieted. What do those things mean? You ever been disquieted? Ever been cast down? They're not typically terms that we use. Man, I'm so disquieted today. My kids never said that to me. I've never said that to anybody else. I don't believe in my history of life. Just a little disquieted today. What does it mean? Well, we're familiar with what depression and anxiety are, right? If I throw that out there, everyone's like, ah, I, got, I understand that. You know, until, until about 1960, no one had heard of dissociative, dissociative identity disorder. Uh, split personality no one had heard that. And then Alfred Hitchcock created this movie about this man named Norman. And then everyone understood what split personality was. And, and over the course of time, people under, you say split personality and people know what that is. You know, there have been books written about it and biographies and autobiographies and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We are very well versed and very familiar with what depression is with what anxiety is because we're taught about it we, we recognize that we understand this do you see any shades of depression and anxiety here why are you cast down oh my soul why are you disquieted within me oh my god my soul is cast down within, within me I feel cast down I feel disquieted I feel troubled I feel down anyone relate with this? sure you do I see heads nodding. Now, if you aren't feeling that today, you have. And there's a good chance that we'll, we might leave this place on a verse 11 type of encouragement and find ourselves yet again cast down, disquieted when we encounter something else. Now listen, there are a number, of, a number of different reasons why we might find ourselves this way. And there are a number of different reasons, well, a number of different times we might feel this way and have no reason at all. I just feel like a pie today. I mean, I, I've encountered that where I, I, man, I don't know what it is today, but man, I'm not myself, and I find myself apologizing at the end of the day or something like that. Man, I just haven't been myself today. I need to get out of this funk. We can find ourselves in this in this place totally disquieted, totally. Cast down, even though we know the truth, even though we've experienced the truth, that we don't need to remain disquieted, that we don't need to ever remain cast down. And yet there we find ourselves. So we're going to start by asking ourselves a couple of questions. Why am I discouraged? Why am I cast down? Why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? Why am I these things? Why am I troubled and disquieted? And see if we can't do something about it, even if just for this morning, that might help us in the days to come. Now, we can cut straight to the bones of the thing. Get right where we live sometimes. God might be dealing with you. If you feel down, if you feel cast down, if you feel like you are discouraged and depressed, God might be dealing with you. Let's just call it what it is. He might have his hand heavily on you. Can God put you in a troubled mind intentionally? I've kind of given you the answer. Yes, God can be dealing with you. Yes, he can. He can give you trouble. You know, let's turn to Daniel chapter 4. For some reason, I've been going to well, the, the time frame of David and his dealings with Saul a bunch lately, so I'm not going to go there, but I'll mention it. Do you remember what, what the Lord did with Saul when Saul had disobeyed him and you know, the Lord told him that the kingdom would not be his? It says that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul... And well, the Lord sent a distressing spirit. A distressing spirit from the Lord. Troubled or terrified. Burdened Saul. It frightened him. God allowed that to be so because Saul disobeyed him. And the Lord was dealing with him. That saved man. He, The Lord sent this distressing spirit. Uh, I'll just leave Saul there for now. Let's look at Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Let me get there myself because I want to have it. On my Bible here, I have everything in my notes, certainly. But in Daniel chapter 4, well, the Lord determined that he was going to deal with this man, Nebuchadnezzar. I'll be honest with you, there have been times, you know, Brother David mentioned earlier in Sunday school lesson, he talked about those times when we separate fellowship with somebody. Someone's going through a struggle and they're, well, you can't put yourself in the struggle with them necessarily. There have been times, and I'm not ashamed to say this, so I might have one time been, where I prayed for struggle for somebody. I prayed for I've prayed for a number of different people just to be as miserable as possible. That might sound cold to you, but when God has demonstrated His kindness and His goodness, when, well, perhaps you've seen family members treat their... Well, I've seen different people treat their children so, so well, so nicely, and their kids turn around and just kind of treat those parents like dirt. You know, and you're like, you don't deserve what you're getting here. You know? uh, I don't, I'm not going to ever tell a child of God, you don't deserve what God's getting. I'm going to tell everyone that we don't deserve what the Lord is giving them. But there are those times when you see them balking and spitting in the face, you might say, of the Lord. When goodness and kindness and grace and opportunity has been given to those ones. And they keep on balking at it and just a sneering at it like, well, if that's not going to work, then Lord, I pray that they would just be as miserable as possible so that they have no other recourse than to cry out to the Lord from their knees. It's, you all have been there, some of you. I know you have. Just made so miserable that you had no other recourse except to ask the Almighty God. And guess what He did? He, he answered. And He saves and He delivers and all of these things. I think that the Lord plainly can be dealing with you by making you miserable. By making you Bringing something that would depress you. Now look, uh, Nebuchadnezzar here, he was the king of Babylon. In the time of Daniel, we understand this, and he had been given a whole lot from him. Daniel had interpreted a dream that he had about that great, I'm not going to go into all of it, but he had that that great statue or that great image that was before him. And Daniel interpreted all of that and foretold the future of the kingdoms and and those sorts of things. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Cast into a fiery furnace. I think that was mentioned earlier. Maybe our brother prayed in regards to that just a moment ago. He was given to see that. given Given to see the Son of God. Walking in the midst. When those ones who threw those three in there died just from the heat of it. From casting those three in. And those three walked out after they'd been in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. I believe it was him. Stepped out of that furnace and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on him. On them. He saw that. And then he was warned still after another dream. Another dream that he was given. You need to be humbled, the Lord told him. He needed to be humbled in Daniel chapter four, verses twenty-three and through twenty-five. He speaks how he needed to be humbled; he'd be chastised specifically. And Nebuchadnezzar did not take it to heart. So in Daniel chapter four and verse twenty-eight, all of the things that the Lord said were going to come upon him came upon him. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the twelve months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, saying. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Look at this. Man, look what I have done and rightly so because I deserve this. This, I am a majestic king. I'm a good king. I'm a powerful king. And all of this, well, you know what? I needed to make something that was worthy of me. Well, that's anything but humble, isn't it? That's anything but humble. No, cowering before the Lord. And so it was there in verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. Saints, if you think the Lord isn't listening to you and watching you 24-7... Then you need to re-examine your relationship with the Lord and the capabilities of the Lord. You know, oftentimes we give so much credit to Satan, give so much credit to the devil. The devil's watching me. The devil's testing me. The devil's dropping my toast on the floor. The devil's making me do this. The devil's making my car not work. The devil, the devil, the devil. And when we sit there, and it's our opportunity to take a stand for the Lord and not and, and bear out a testimony, or just to do simply what He has for us, not going to do it. He won't know. <laughs> What happened here? While the word was still in the king's mouth, God remembered what he had told him 12 months earlier, remembered the warnings that he'd given him, remembered the encouragement and the opportunities that he'd been given. And while the word was still in the king's mouth, though he had forgotten that the Lord was watching, a voice fell from heaven. Man, even in correction, the concept that the Almighty God is willing to correct, is willing to chastise and guide. Ah, It's a beautiful word of love that he has here. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times, and I read this as years, seven years shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like birds' claws. He became an animal, you might say. Became quite animalistic. You can read about, well, in chapter 73 in Psalm 73, Asaph says, I was a beast before you. My cognizance, I acted as though I wasn't even a child of God, I wasn't even a man. My ignorance, my foolishness, my misunderstanding and misapplication of your word and your ways makes me less of a man. I'm a beast before you. Nebuchadnezzar bore that out well in actuality here. He was a beast before the Lord and the Lord said, I'm going to make you look well like the creature that you're acting like. I'm going to humble you. Seven years he was cast down. Seven years I imagine he was disquieted. I don't know everything that was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's mind for that time I don't know everything that he felt and everything that he understood and we know that he was driven from men we know that he was eating grass we know that he looked like a beast it seems I don't know what his frame of mind was I know what it might have been I suppose he might have been quite downcast downtrodden did the Lord just make him an ox where he didn't think anything I'm inclined to believe that that wasn't the case because it was to teach him and to remove his full cognizance, his awareness of anything, well, that's not really a teaching, is it? I believe that he did have him, well, remain aware of some things. And I believe that he was aware of his low estate. I believe that he was aware of his being cast down. And it was very plain that God was dealing with him, God had him in this place. He was doing a work in his heart. In his mind, I won't turn there, but in Leviticus and elsewhere, the Lord had spoken to the children of Israel. I have some commandments for you. I have an order for you. If you disobey me in these things, what can you rightly expect? I'll break the pride of your power, he says. I will make your heavens like iron and the earth like bronze. I will make it to where you feel so alone, so solitary, so downcast, so downtrodden, Now, I think that that word like is very, very important there. The heavens will be like iron. It will be like there is a... Well, there is no God listening, no God present, but He always is there, certainly. But there's a time when there's a separation of that fellowship and a humbling needs to take place. A direct result of God's, well, determination to deal with that one. He's simply waiting on Nebuchadnezzar. What was he waiting for? Until you know that the Most High Rules in the kingdom of men. We'll come back to Nebuchadnezzar shortly. But understand that sometimes we can feel quite cast down, quite disquieted simply because the Lord is putting His hand of correction upon us. And that's true. It's Bible. Oftentimes, it might just be your circumstances. It might be your situation that is disquieting you. It might be those things that are going on around you. Many in Scripture... Were placed into circumstances or circumstances came upon them that disquieted them that troubled them that brought them some measure of turmoil and it was by no fault of their own it wasn't that the lord was slapping them down or anything of that sort he certainly allowed those things to happen and sometimes he put these situations in in their life but it wasn't in a corrective measure i think of mary and joseph man did they do something wrong to be put in the situation that they were put in, Mary being an unwed mother, for goodness sake, having done nothing to put herself into that position, obviously. You think she might have been a little bit disquieted by that? If left to her natural tendencies? Well, absolutely, man. Absolutely. She was looking at dealing with some substantial ramifications under the law. Joseph Being one who loved this woman, who intended to marry this one. How about Joseph of the Old Testament? Put into a situation. Listen, man, he was 17 years old. I imagine he might have poked and prodded his brothers as anybody. Might have said, "Look look at my jacket that dad got for me. I don't want to sit and just speculate things. But listen, man, he was 17 years old. These were adult men. They were adult men. So they weren't able to deal with the situation that was going on between Joseph and his dad. And, well, the fault lie on them. Joseph found himself thrown into a pit, nearly murdered, sold off to a bunch of traders. He found himself, well, in slavery in the house of a vile woman who then went ahead and accused him falsely, and he found himself in prison, for goodness sake, man. I can really get into a funk about when I drop my coffee filter on the floor, right? Make coffee, and all I want is just to drink my coffee. I've told you the story. Have a little flip-up trash can, and I stepped up there, and I went to flip, step on my flipper, and at the same time, I dumped the, the grounds. <laughs> I dumped a little filter that was in my, in my, fil- in my pour-over, and I did it just a little bit too early, and it dropped the filter on the lid, and I stepped on it. It goes, <laughs> and launched, launched my, launched my uh, filter full of wet, nasty grounds. So that delayed me getting coffee, and and then you know you reach down to grab the stuff, and you bump your head on the cabinet, and it, just one thing leads to another to another to another, and I'm like, man, think what well, this is what, oh, what a terrible day, you know. I think about the course of these. What was it, twenty three years? Twenty three years that Joseph was dealing with it might have just been just been thirteen, I forget if he was thirty or forty when he came before Pharaoh. But you talk about a sequence of events that would trouble you. That would disquiet you. Man, that poor young man, dealing with some things. I digressed and talked about him much longer than I intended to. I was going to point out this man in first Kings nineteen. This man Elijah, quite familiar with him, one of my heroes of faith, certainly. First Kings 19, you know, Elijah had that great victory over the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. And Jezebel didn't like that he had killed all of her prophets, this grand number of prophets. And she said, well, I'm going to tell you right now, in 24 hours, you're going to be in the same, same boat as they are. That So be it, I'm coming after you, she said. Would that be disquieting? Well, yes. She was in a place of great power. She had dominance, it seems, over her husband Ahab. She was the one who ran the show, whether he was called king or not. It would be disquieting on a natural level. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, when he saw that, when Elijah recognized the bloodlust that was in Jezebel's mind, her intentions, he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I think that he felt cast down here. I think that's a safe statement. And said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no no better than my father's. Man, he was disquieted. He felt cast down. And if you read the story, you recognize he was so for another 40 days. Another 40 days. And I think it was awfully kind of the Lord. The Lord didn't go, wake up, man. What? Get up. Do you remember what just just happened? No. He fed him a meal, right? Fed him. Fed him and said, you rest. The journey's too great for you right now. It's difficult for you right now. Man, I tell you what, our Lord is so sympathetic, empathetic to his people recognizing my goodness he just realizes that our frames are dust he could just say let me dust you and get someone better than you I can do this better myself and yet he doesn't do such things here Elijah feels cast down and he remained there his life was in jeopardy he was disquieted he was struggling and it was all as a result of what his sin his issue his dismissing the things that no it was because of his faithfulness His willingness to step up and do what no one else in Israel... Well, not no one else, but most people in Israel weren't going to do. Those ones who were there and were stuck between him and the prophets of Baal. You know, he asked them, Why are you stuck between these two places? Where's your mind at right now? Well, you know as much as I do what the Lord has done for us. And he stepped up when he stood in the face of of hundreds of different ones who were willing to oppose him. Joseph sat in that pit because he was a child of God. Sat in that foreign home, sat in a prison. Mary sat in her home with a child by no action of her own, growing in her belly. And the stigma that would be attached to that, saints, your, your circumstances, your own situation, can be quite disquieting to you by no fault of your own, just looking around and seeing what is going on, they can be quite unsettling to you. Now, you might feel overwhelmed. You might feel poor. You might feel alone. You might feel old. That can be disquieting, can't it? Man, I I can't do what I used to do, and I hurt all the time, and I'm sick all the time, and I don't have much time left here. That can be a, a genuine, honest representation when you look... In the mirror you know we sang that song a little bit ago, and some people might say, "Oh those songs are kind of a little bit corny or something like that. man sometimes you just look in the mirror and you own the mess and you're like, man here I am a mess naturally speaking, I'm a mess emotionally speaking. I'm a mess all of these things and I just I have to own where I am right now before I can move forward in the Lord. Sometimes you might feel misunderstood, sometimes you might feel helpless. Sometimes you might feel scared or in danger. And your circumstances might have you actually absolutely all of those things, completely poor, not knowing where the next meal is coming from. You might entirely be old. You might. You might have... My old chief used to say, I'd say, Chief, how are you doing this morning? One foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. And I'm like, okay, good enough, fair enough. You know what? Some of you might just be standing on a banana peel yourself. I don't know what the Lord holds for you. I don't know what he has left to the natural progression of things. Our time here is but a vapor. And some of us are the last wisps of the vapor. I mean, if you want to just be real about it, it is what it is. It is funny, isn't it? Listen, you might have any of or all of these things legitimately disquieting you. But I'm going to be honest with you. Oftentimes, you might ask yourself, why am I disquieted? Because you look around and you see absolutely none of those things. You aren't poor. You aren't old. You aren't unhealthy. You aren't threatened. You aren't in danger. Things are going very, very well for you, as a matter of fact. Everything, everything seems to be stacked up for you, not stacked up against you. And yet you can't shake that thought in your mind. I'm disquieted. I'm discouraged. Man, I feel like a pie today. What is going on? And maybe it's, I feel like a pie for this year. This entire year I have just been, I don't know what's going on here. I am scared, I am sad, I am uncomfortable, I'm distressed, I'm all of these things. Why am I cast down? Why is my soul disquieted within me? Saints, I've made my, I think, made my position rather plain. If I haven't, I will make it plain to you today. I believe that there are legitimate circumstances that cause us, naturally speaking, to feel hopeless at times. To feel scared, to feel disquieted, to feel all of those things. I believe that we can rationalize and look and say, man, I have this issue before me, this issue before me, that issue before me. Naturally speaking, I am entirely justified in feeling scared out of my mind, say. Yeah. I believe that that's so. I also believe that there are times when we don't have those things, but a true mental illness. Mental illness is a real thing. It's bandied about here, and, and I think it's over-emphasized, and I think it's over-diagnosed, and I think it's over-embraced and all of these things, and I'll try to leave my own personal feelings out of it. But I believe, <laughs> I believe without question that there is mental illness that's valid, And even though there might not be, there might not be an issue that is present, something that is actually, you can point out and say, man, this is making me distraught. That it's going on up here. And and we can have those bouts of depression. Might be irrational on a natural level. But in a chemical level sometimes, and a physiological level, there they are nonetheless. Not necessarily a fault of our own. But I do believe that there are behavioral issues Behavioral issues on the part of God's people that are attributed to mental health, mental illness, and give people license to misbehave, naturally speaking, misbehave spiritually speaking. I think that's, well, I think that that's a reality. I I mean, I can speak anecdotally, saints, the number of times where I have treated and encountered, not just at this job, but in the old job. And I, I was in the back of an ambulance. A million times of different people who told me all of their issues. I'm like, no, this is not your issue. Your issue is that, well, you're making the wrong choices. And your parents made the wrong choices for you before that. And you can just see the lineup of how things shook out. This isn't mental illness for you. This is a behavioral issue. Saints, I believe that oftentimes that's why we can feel disquieted because we haven't attended to our behavioral struggles we haven't given them over to the Lord. But I also believe that sometimes we just feel like a pie, man. Today, I just it just is what it is. I can't reason it out. It's not something I'm going to stay in. It's not something I was in yesterday. It's not something I make a habit of. But something's just off today. And I can feel it, and I know it, and I just don't know why. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Sometimes you just don't know why. Sometimes you aren't entirely aware what it is. Sometimes the Lord makes it quite plain. But regardless, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you have every justification. It doesn't matter if you don't have any justification. It doesn't matter if it's something physiological going on up here. It doesn't matter if it's something behavioral. It doesn't matter if you just don't know what the situation is. If you are disquieted, the answer is single, solo. It's one thing. And it's the power of God. That's it. It's the power of the Lord. You go to Him first. You go to Him continually. You go to Him consistently. He can lead you in a number of different ways. Don't get me wrong. But the first answer is hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. I seek His face, number one. I feel like a pie. Man, you're upset with this. This is my first response. Something wrong, honey? Oh, No, man, that shouldn't be my first response. I feel like a pie today. Lord help me. Man, it's sometimes as simple as that, right? Sometimes it's as simple as that. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance, of His face. That's what it is. Lift up your eyes. Man, it is such a simple concept. And it, it, you know, oftentimes I'll tell you, man, you know, we know what the will of God is. Sometimes it's just so simple, the will of God. Not easy always, but simple. You need to move from here to here. You need to go talk to that person over there. You need to deal with this. Don't go to the doctor. You need to go to the doctor. Sometimes it's just so very simple. But man, not easy, right? Not easy. I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to go to the doctor. I want to go to the doctor. Whatever the situation might be. All these things, individual. This is something simple and easy. Man, lift up your eyes. Lift up your face to the Lord. First and foremost, what's the big deal? You have a rough day. Big deal. So what? Saints, our testimony is so important. Man, our testimony to those ones that are inside of our household. So important. Our testimony to those ones. Who we work with. So important. You have no idea sometimes. How just the inflection of a voice. The statement of a phrase. I can give you different stories. For time's sake I won't. That different ones will remember certain things. That you have absolutely no recollection about. They'll come to you and they'll say. Man, this time here, I knew that that was something, I knew there was something different about you. I have no idea what you're talking about. And there have been other times when I have spoken to teachers from back in the day, man, when they will remind me of something that I did. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm not going to sit and, and dwell on things because I've dealt with those things that the Lord has dealt with me in. But I sure wish I'd left them a better, a better taste in their mouth when they think about me and the things that I've done this is easy saints your testimony is important man I feel wrong today I am in a funk Lord help me get out of this funk today so I don't chew on my wife so I don't cut that guy off on the road so that my co-workers don't hear something fall out of my mouth today that they'll say where did that come from Man, a four-letter word, give me a break. There are a lot worse things that you can do in theory and technically. But my goodness, people seize on those things and they remember those things. And it's something that you can simply and easily avoid at times. Help me get out of this funk, Lord. Help me with this. What did Nebuchadnezzar do when he was out there chewing on the grass? (laughs) I don't know, the dew dripping off of his... Hair and his nails all long and grown out and all of those things. Well, at some point, at some point he recognized, didn't he? He recognized that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. Daniel 4.34. This is Nebuchadnezzar's own words. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Then his understanding returned to him, it says. I lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. If you know Elijah's story, 40 days he went off and he was sitting in a cave. The Lord said, why are you sitting in this cave? Well, you know what, you know what Elijah did ultimately? It took a little bit of time perhaps, but he had a conversation with the Lord. He heard a still small voice and he spoke to the Lord and he told him what his issue was. Lord, this is my struggle. This is my problem. He had a conversation face to face. These ones lifted up their faces to the Lord. They lifted up their eyes to the Lord and had a dialogue with him to some measure. Sought him for help or for understanding. And good things happen to you when you do this. Good things happen to you. Isaiah 51 and verse 5. He says, my righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples, the coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust, lift your, up your eyes to the heavens, and look on the earth beneath, that means observe it and consider it for what it is in reality and in sincerity, and under the lens of his understanding and his truth, look at it sincerely, the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment and all of the garbage that you deal with in it, all of this stuff is going to disappear. And those who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever what I give to you. My righteousness will not be abolished. It's present, ever present, and always there for you. Saints, any number of things can cast, cause us to feel cast down, can cause us to be disquieted, can cause us to be depressed discourage all of those things. It can be the Lord's doing absolutely that he puts his hand upon you and says it's time for you to be humbled since you have chosen not to be sometimes he can do that. It might be our own doing, our own issues. It might be a situation around us that was by no doing of ours at all it just has arrived. naturally speaking we're justified in doing that and sometimes you just wake up feeling like a pie. sometimes you just it just is what it is. But the response to those things is always the same, first and foremost. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation, Habakkuk says. That's the first and foremost thing. Daniel prayed this in Daniel 9, 17. Now therefore, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. We can feel desolate and empty inside sometimes. Lift up your eyes to the Lord and ask Him to shine upon that. Shine in guidance, shine in wisdom, shine in direction, shine in all of those things. We can feel desolate in our circumstances, these crummy things that take, that, well, that take place around us. And it might just be something that's right up here that makes absolutely no sense. But you don't have to stay there. Don't stop looking to Him, first and foremost, for joy, for help, for direction, for peace. Don't resolve yourself to just be disquieted all the time. Now this is my lot. This is the hand I've been dealt. It's, it is what it is. Hashtag depression is real. Saints, we don't have to fall prey to a hashtag. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel and everybody else. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. Saints, look to the Lord. Lift up your face first and foremost. Listen, He might lead you to treatment. He might lead you to medication. He might lead you to a hobby to help you with your depression, your discouragement. He might lead you into the wilderness, cast out by men because of the struggles that you have refused to to address in your life. He might lead you simply to be still and know that He is God. Sometimes, sometimes that's what His direction is. But no matter what the source of His deliverance is, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, no matter any of those things, the help of my countenance is God. His countenance is the help of your countenance. His mind is the help of your mind. His heart is the help of your heart. Look to God and let Him lead you out of your disquiet. Let's bow our heads together. Father, this morning I pray, Lord, there be any here that are suffering just now who feel discouraged, Lord, who feel disquieted, who feel that depression that we've been given to understand and have some experience with, Father, even in this culture and society, Father, whatever it might be, if it's the depths of such things that we're experiencing, or we just wake up just... Well, in one of those funks, Lord, I pray that you would touch the heart just now. Father, I pray that they would lift up their own face to you. Father, ask you to shine your light, your countenance upon them in this moment, Father, and reassure them, Lord. Reassure all of us, Father, that when we find ourselves in these places, in these situations First and foremost, Father, before anything else, we just need to look to you. We just need to open our hearts to you, Father, lift our faces up, make contact with you, Lord. Establish a dialogue and let you lead us and direct us in the manner and the way that you would have us to go. Father, help us to find joy and peace, first and foremost, in you and your strength. And give us the wisdom to listen, Father, as you direct us in whatever path that might be. Thank you for promising to do that. I love you, Lord. I love you. And I thank you this morning. Bless your people, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen.